study in first john and it's a study about walking with jesus jesus our savior our lord the one who literally changes our lives now pastor john is a little bit older now he's he's near the end of his life he's already put in 50 60 or so years of ministry And I think he's showing the scars of following Jesus and leading a flock. Not every older man or woman is wise nor deserves respect, but this wasn't the case with the apostle. He had earned the right to be heard. And in his letter, he is pouring out his heart to a church that he dearly loves, to people he cares a lot about, like you. And me. You know, today John revisits the upper room discourse. That that's the the words that Jesus gave his disciples right before he went to the garden. It's it's found in chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 of John. And in this text, uh, it made an impact. I'm John. And still, all these years later, he's remembering Jesus' words. At that night, Jesus gave his disciples the commandment to love one another in John 13. Then he revealed to them that he would be, uh, that he would send the Spirit and the Spirit would indwell them in John 14. And finally, encourage the disciples to abide in him so they would bear fruit and their prayers would be answered in John 15 and 16. Oh, if you've been with us, some of these words are going to sound familiar again. Some of these words have been read over and over and over. And my hope is, is that you'll hear it with fresh ears. Let's pray. Father, we come before you recognizing you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Father, at this time in our lives, as we look all over our world, all over this nation, in our own families, we see the chaos. We see the trouble. We know you are King. And yet we know, God, that the chaos that comes, the, well, the pain, the sorrow, it comes from people who are running from you. Lord, we pray for Ukraine. Lord, for these last weeks, it's hard to, well, go throughout the day and think of our situation. Where most of us sit down and enjoy a meal 
where most of us turn on our faucets and we have water or can take a shower or most of us can meander over to a computer or if we get sick, just go to a doctor. God, it's so hard to understand what refugees are going through right now. It's so hard to understand how families are being separated, how lives are being lost. It's hard to understand, Father, how all these things are happening. We ask you, dear Lord, that you would be especially with the refugees Thousands and thousands crossing the borders, hoping for safety. We pray for the church. We pray for those organizations who are receiving them. We pray, Father, for the medical help and for the supplies and for the medicine and for the doctors and nurses. We pray, Father, for those who are suffering extreme loss right now in hard conditions with no heat and no food. God, we pray that you would interact. We pray, God, that you would intervene. We pray, dear God, that that you would use your church. We pray for peace, Father. We pray that you would bring peace, not only there, but all over our world. We know, God, that you are a loving God and you are a merciful God and you are a gracious God. So we pray, Father, that you would work in your way, in your timing. And even as we look at the message today, God, maybe you will use us. Maybe there's things we can do. And we pray, Father, we would respond. Lord, this is a time of Lent. This is a time where where we are reflecting on some of our habits and some of our ways. and, And God, sometimes we just get comfortable. We pray your spirit would convict us. We pray, Lord, that you would change us from the inside out. We pray, dear Lord, as we journey toward this Monday, Thursday, and, and this Good Friday, and this Resurrection Sunday, God, that, that you would prepare us and that we would see the Savior that you are and the loving God that you are and the hope that you give each one of us. We pray for all those churches in the area, Lord, and all over the world. But in particular, we pray for Meadowland and Casa de Arision and for Fierce. These are converged churches. These are brothers and sisters. We pray, dear God, that you would be with these folks as they are salt and light in our community. And that you would do a work in them and through them. We pray for our workers downstairs. We pray for our kids who are hearing stories. We pray, dear God, that your spirit would be so active that our kids would know you better and love you more. We are grateful once again, God, for your word. 
And as we open your word, we ask again, God, that you would convict us and inspire us. We love you, Lord, and pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. I'd like you to turn your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 11. 1 John chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, you can follow along on the screen behind me. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings, and He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we will receive from Him whatever we ask, because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him, and he with them. And we know he lives in us, because the Spirit he gave us lives in us. John loves using contrasts in this letter. Again, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, you will see him compare light against darkness. You'll read about the Christ, and then you'll read about the Antichrists. And just recently, last week, you'll read about God's kids and the devil's kids. Let's read again, only this time I'm going to start at verse 10. I, I just think it flows just a little better. We'll go right into verse 11 and through verse 15. So 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 10. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? 
Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you, if we love our brothers and sisters who are believers. It proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We should love one another. It is, it is something that John has said over and over and over. We must not be like Cain who killed his brother. Now, as you're reading this, and maybe just even for the first time in a while, this is a puzzling first reading. But I think John is trying to teach us two things right here. First, he's saying, the world. God's enemies will hate folks who are righteous or who are living righteously or who are listening to God or who are obeying God. Jesus actually taught this on the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 10, Jesus said this, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. I think John, again, was just trying to warn, hey, you know what? If you're going to follow Jesus, there are going to be folks that don't like that. Secondly, and this is the part that probably should shake every one of us up, hating a brother or sister is like killing them. Killing them. In our text, hate means not loving. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more and go a little deeper here, but but the importance of Christians loving one another cannot be overstated. In fact, to hate a Christian brother, according to this text, is akin to murdering your brother, just like Cain murdered Abel back in Genesis chapter 4. Yet, if we're honest, not loving Christian brothers doesn't get the headlines. I am sure if anyone in this congregation really disliked another member, pulled the gun out and ended their life. (laughs) There would be all kinds of news. There would be all kinds of commotion. Everything would probably change at least for a while. And yet, John says, not loving your Christian brothers or sisters is the same thing? And yet that happens, and it goes on, and it's not addressed? 
John says, we are to love consistently, incomprehensively, continually, and individually. Play no favorites, showing no biases, practicing no discriminations among the family. You see, love for others flows and is the heart of the gospel. The scriptures tell us it proves we are new creations and that we actually are alive. Loving others doesn't make us part of God's family. It shows we are part of God's family. Now, although John's focus is the church, Jesus made it really clear that loving others often extends to our enemies. It happened again back in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. And he said something like this. He goes, well, you know what? You have heard to love one another. What Jesus said in my kingdom, I not only want you to love one another, but I want you to love your enemies. Actually, I want you to pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That literally had a shock the people when they heard it. Because Jesus was talking about Romans and Greeks. And those religious ones that went around making you feel low and unworthy. Then what John does is describe for us what love looks like. Because again, the majority of us, we may hear those words. Love one another. Love your Christian brothers and sisters. And you know, most of us will probably, eh, no problem here. Boom. Got that one. Check that box. But listen to what John says loving one another is. Verse 16 through 19. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, again, if you mark your Bibles, I encourage you to do this. Underline it, highlight this, bold this section because so we all to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. So many of us read that. We just keep going on. Verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say we love one another or each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we actually belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Now, John is just saying this. Loving isn't just being sort of kind, and loving isn't just being kind of gracious, and loving isn't being civil with one another. Love is giving up your life for another brother or sister. Loving means you give up your life like Jesus gave up his life. Now, let me just 
remind you about this is hating means not giving up your life for your brothers and sisters. This is so convicting for me. It's got to grab your attention right now. You know, it's really interesting. And, and remember, when the scriptures were written, they weren't written in chapters and verses. That was added later. But, but somehow, so many of you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Described what love was. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If you want to see love, John says, look at the cross. If you want to know love, look at the cross. If you want to show love, look at the cross. If you want to live love, look at the cross. We may think John is the only one stuck. If you've been with us again, you've heard this over and over and over again. We need to love one another. But John isn't the only one stuck. All the way through the scriptures, and especially in Paul's epistles, loving one another is repeated over and over and over again. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, Paul writes this, For you, you believers, you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your own desires or your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. He writes this to the church of Thessalonica. And may the Lord make your love for one another and all of those people there grow and overflow. May your love grow. May your love for everyone grow and everybody there. Just as our love for you overflows. Now, John says this, two things happen when we love, when we literally give up our lives for others. Two things happen. First of all, needs of others are met. In this case, it's a physical need. But all the way through, we are told to meet emotional needs and meet spiritual needs. If you have something to give and somebody has a need, well, giving up your life means you meet that need. It's not merely saying that we love each other. It's letting us show the truth by our actions. It's interesting. John was called the beloved apostle. He really loved Jesus. He felt like he was the closest of all the disciples, and maybe everyone did. But James, Jesus' brother, kind of felt the same way that John did. These are two heavy hitters in the early church. In James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, 
What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, James writes, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can this kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister that has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith and others have good deeds. But I say, James says, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Just as a body is dead without breath, also faith is dead without good works. Paul also writes in Galatians 6, verse 10, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. Secondly, what happens When we listen, we obey here. We will be confident when we see Jesus. Now, this is the second time that John mentions accountability. If you're with us last week, we talked about the judgment seat of Christ where believers stand before God. And God gives rewards. But this is interesting. The second time John mentions his accountability. And he says this, we are held accountable for our actions. In this case, we are held accountable for self-sacrificing, giving up our lives. We are rewarded for our faithfulness, listening and responding. So here's the question, and, and it must haunt you because it haunts me. So what does giving up my life look like? Or how over this past week or two weeks or three weeks have I been sacrificial? And you ask the question. And you ask God to reveal to you areas of weakness, areas of blindness, areas of selfishness. And granted, it's different for everyone. But I can say this, it always involves sacrifice. If you ask the simple question, again, where have I loved others this last week? And you might be able to say, oh, I did this, and I went there, and Maybe change it up. Where did I give up my life? Where did I literally sacrifice my own life for another person or group? And it'd be really nice now to have a checklist and be really nice for your pastor to say, hey, maybe you need to do this and that and whatever. What I want to encourage you is this. Because it's all different for everyone and because God gives each one of us different, well, journeys and adventures. I think it's something you talk to God about. It's something you talk to your loved ones about. It's someone you talk to your small groups about. But it's different for everyone. Think about it. God lives in everyone who is a believer. The Holy Spirit prompts us and desires for us to invest. 
Seeking first God's kingdom is sacrificial. Let me, let me say it again. Seeking first God's kingdom is sacrificial, and it shows that you are loving others. Now, let me, let me say this uh, again as we, as we look at this, because, well, hey, you know, I mean, it's important to seek first God's kingdom, but hey, I have to take care of my family, and I have to meet my needs, and I, have, and, and I understand. But the encouragement is to seek first God's kingdom. To seek God's kingdom with my time and my talents and my treasure. It is always inconvenient to seek first God's kingdom. Do you know that? It is always costly to seek God's kingdom first. It is always costly to love others the way Jesus loved others. This simply means that your comfort or your calendar is not the priority. It isn't. Yours. Think of how often you are the priority in life. For me, it's normal. It's normal. What I do benefits me. What I do benefits my family. That's how I think. But John says, whoa, whoa. I'm going to recalibrate. It, It means sacrifice. It means giving up your life. It means you will go without somewhere. You will go without some of your time. And you won't use all of your gifts on you. You won't. And, and your treasure. Your treasure. What God gives you. The first thing you spend is not on you. Think of how many people have needs. Physical, physical needs. And oftentimes they'll say, well, I can't give to that person. I mean, I'm sure the <laughs> reason he needs some food is because the guy doesn't work. What's his problem? You know? <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I don't know all the reasons. Or what about someone who's suffering emotionally? Grieving a loss. How do we love that person? Or spiritually? How do we help others on the journey? How do we encourage them to walk with God? How do we help them grow their faith? How do we serve others? We all probably need to have these conversations throughout the week around a table, maybe on your way home. But some of you live really close, so that conversation won't really last that long. But maybe when you get home, where have we been sacrificing? Are we loving others? 
Or are we just kind of going through the motions? Are we enjoying being comfortable? How is it with all the things that are going on? Your heart doesn't break every day. Somewhere. Somehow. Then John goes on like, whoa, this is an easy passage, huh? Verse 20. Even if we feel guilty, John says, and I love these verses. God is greater than our feelings, and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence, and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. You see, loving others not only gives us confidence before we stand before our judge someday, it's also a way to shut down the debilitating self-criticism, even when there's something to it. God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. Those who abide are sensitive of their failures and confess their shortcomings. And the enemy loves and wants to have us focus on our failures. But God, God's bent is forgiveness. As we repent of our sin, of our insecurities, of our selfishness, of our lack of love for others, God forgives. And once we move past the accusing or the condemning of ourselves, we're bold and free before God, able to pray because we're doing what he says. We're doing what pleases him. When believers live in Christ, their prayers will be answered. This isn't something like, oh, okay, well, I just name it and claim it and whoa, no, no, as you walk with God, as you, as you listen to God, you begin to pray in a way that pleases God. You understand his will and you pray according to his will. And God answers this. Our requests will be honored by God because they're focused on accomplishing God's will. Remember, Jesus himself taught his disciples to pray a pattern prayer, one that no many of them repeat even every day or multiple times a day. But in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as he taught his disciples to pray. Now this is a normal, ongoing experience of an abiding child is that prayers are answered because the prayers are focused on God and his will. You know, it's hard not to remember, at least at this time, Christ's garden prayer. Do you remember that? Just before he went to the cross, he's sweating. His disciples that he has to pray with him are sleeping. But he is pouring his heart out to God. And he's saying, Lord, God, Father, could you take this cup away? Could you take the cup away? 
I know it's coming. <laughs> is there a different way? And then right after that, which is so amazing, he says, not my will. <laughs> not my will. My will is that the cup gets removed, but not my will. I want your will, God. Then John summarizes this section in the, in the last two verses of this chapter, verse 23 and 24. He says this, and this is his commandment. We must keep believing in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him. Amazing, again, he brought abide back in, didn't he? I mean, if John can't go a few sentences without talking about abiding or loving one another, something's wrong. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave gave, gave us lives in him. This is God's commandment. This is God's desire for all of God's kids. Keep on believing in the name of Jesus Christ, God's Son. That's where authority comes. That's who the person, that's where Savior is. Believe in Jesus, his power, his authority, his sacrifice. And love one another. This happens when every one of us obey and abide and remain in fellowship. We talked about the two circles last week. A a diagram that is so helpful understanding how important it is to walk with Jesus in order to experience life, abundant life. To be able to hear from God. To be able to listen to God. To be able to be empowered by God. It is. This happens or we abide when we abide it means Christ is with us the spirit lives in us producing spiritual fruit in our lives of which the first fruit is love love and joy and peace and patience, and and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and (laughs) self-control. We don't do that. We don't. But when the Spirit comes in, and the Spirit changes us, and the Spirit empowers us, we walk through life, and we act differently. You know, as I wrap up, those who truly belong to God, and abide in Christ, will live and love like Jesus rather than those who are of the world. Why do you think John keeps hammering this nail? Why do you think it's so important? After all these years, He lived it. He was with Jesus. He heard Jesus' words. He saw the abundant life. He saw the man Jesus so connected with his Father. 
that he knew what to say and where to go and what to do. John says, I want that. 50, 60 years later, it's still in his brain. He begged the church, abide in him. Don't walk away from him. Live like him because that's the only way you're going to love like him. You're going to be sacrificial like him. The only way. Jesus teaches us that loving one another provides a superlative witness to a watching world. Remember what he said in John 13, 35. It's up on the screen. Your love for one another will prove to everyone that you're my disciples. Love is the quintessential evidence that says to others, I belong to and I follow after Jesus. I get to mirror Jesus to the world. And the question even comes back. Would there be enough evidence to convict you as a disciple of Jesus? And if the answer is no, don't beat yourself up. What it means you have to abide. You have to stay connected. If for some reason you don't love like this, this should be a huge conviction. Because many of us don't. But we need to stay connected. We need to let Jesus refocus our priorities. We'll see needs in different people, physical and spiritual and emotional. And all of a sudden, ourselves and our priorities will dim. It will dim. Our love for one another means we are walking with Jesus. That's the only thing. If you or I or this church is not loving one another, it doesn't mean go try harder. It means get connected with Jesus. That's what it means. John was never tired of telling his brothers and sisters to love one another because not only in the church back then, but in the church today, in this church and in all churches, a lack of loving one another like Jesus loved one another. So remain in fellowship. Do life with me, Jesus says. And let me change you, us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for John. We thank you for his candor we thank you for his convictions. We thank you for his example. We thank you that his words were spirit-inspired. In God, it wasn't different back when John was part of the start of the church. You know, the same issues there as we have today. God, will we walk with you would we, Father, reflect you well because of the relationship we have with you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your plan. It frankly amazes us.
but we love you. And pray this in your son's powerful name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and respond.